Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Wednesday, August the 7th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the boys are off and resting up for tomorrow's game, so we're going to take a deep dive into the Twitter mailbag and answer as many of your questions as we can, and we'll explain this Dolphins pass rush scheme and why Jerome Baker is the most important part of that plan. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. We are a top 200 sports podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins, and you can find the written work up on LockedOnDolphins.com, including today's piece on Jerome Baker. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, which has been rebranded with the expert analysis of former NFL scout Matt Williamson and the new host Brian Peacock. Locked On NFL is your daily national podcast on all things NFL with Matt's unique take on the game. Hey, what else is new? We got another busy show for you guys. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins One of the more difficult things to try to explain this entire offseason has been the lack of emphasis on the Dolphins' pass rush as far as the personnel acquired. To a man, just about every Dolphins fan, media member, or even employee that I've spoken to, whomever it is, they always ask me, where are the sacks going to come from? And I try to explain it in short order, but that's just not possible, so I decided to write an article about it, more specifically about Jerome Baker. And if you'll go over to LockedOnDolphins.com, you'll see the most recent piece titled Dolphins Defensive Plan Hinges on the Growth of Jerome Baker. And I say this a lot, but this is one of my favorite pieces I've ever written. And I want to spend the first segment of today's show covering this article. And we start with the leadership aspect of Baker's game. And we've got quotes from Brian Flores, as well as Rob Leonard, Baker's positional coach at linebacker, and Jerome Baker himself on both his leadership and his versatility, which opens things up for the Dolphins defense to execute the scheme they want to do. You go back to May. There's a video of Brian Flores talking about Jerome Baker, and he says, quote, Bake has taken on a leadership role. He's taken a step in that direction. He's smart, very athletic, and his lateral quickness is good for the linebacker position. The challenge will be putting everything together, end quote. And I think that you take that last bit there, the part where he talks about putting it all together, and mind you, Baker's 22 years old. He turns 23 in December around Christmas time. So this is a young dude, but he has a background with his leadership going all the way back to college as well in high school. But as far as putting it all together, he's talking about all the requirements of this position group in this defense as it's basically the Kickstarter to the entire scheme and how it works in regards to complementing the coverage on the back end with pressure from these linebackers. It's going to require these guys, Jerome Baker, to win one-on-one pass rush situations, but also be very effective as a blitz and the lateral quickness is paramount to those traits as well as the pursuit and tackle responsibilities in the run game. Now, you go back to last season, Baker's rookie year, he only had three sacks and four total pressures 
But the Dolphins are entrusting the 22-year-old with the integral role of this linebacking unit, and that's been on display from the first day of camp when I saw Jerome Baker calling the defense and setting up the lineup before the snap. Andy Kent of the Palm Beach Post, a great writer over there, had a great quote in an exclusive interview with Jerome Baker, where Baker himself says, they're using me for a lot of different things this year, pass rush, dropping, covering running backs, covering tight ends. To me, it's fun. I really don't have a set job. It's kind of a fit in, do this, and whatever they ask me to do, end quote. Then you go to Baker's positional coach, Rob Leonard, and he waxes poetically about Baker's vast array of football prowess. Quote, he's definitely emerging as a leader. He has all the physical tools. He can cover, blitz, run. He's physical. He's starting to really believe all the things that we saw when we first got here. End quote. So this staff loves what they have in Jerome Baker. And all throughout the first 10 days of Dolphins camp, we saw time and time again, stunts, twists, slants, delayed blitzes, and the amoeba package, which features only one down lineman in the entire defense with a host of players wandering around about the defensive front, searching for a gap to attack. Now, Kyle Van Noy played 90% of the Patriots snaps last year, 16% more than the number two linebacker in Dante Hightower, but these guys have to excel in all facets of the game, especially rushing the quarterback, and that's why guys like Richard Seymour, Chandler Jones, Trey Flowers, all these dominant peer edge rushers were cast aside and allowed to leave New England because they weren't integral to the Patriots' pass rush plan. And so all these fans asking Travis, where the hell is the pass rush going to come from? The answer always was, and always will be, from the scheme. They want to play this tight man coverage on the back end and send extra rushers, whether it's five, six, or even sometimes seven man blitzes with regularity, which creates free rushing lanes in hopes to expedite the opposition's decision making in the passing game, especially when you get a young quarterback who might not be as adept at processing defensive coverage. Last year, the Patriots were 30th in the NFL in sacks, but first in pressures, number one across the league. And they did that by effectively blitzing the gaps and creating mismatches on that defense, setting it up up front with heavy-handed two-gap models on the defensive line. I talked to Devon Godshaw about that. He breaks it down in a video, which is up on the article, up on LockedOnDolphins.com. The Patriots' pressures went like this. Trey Flowers had 69, Adrian Claiborne had 39, Kyle Van Noy had 33, and Donta Hightower had 30. Two linebackers finished third and fourth on the team respectively, and those two guys finished second and third in the NFL in pressures among all linebackers. They also finished first and third in pass rush snaps across the NFL, which is even more of an indicator that the Dolphins are going to send linebackers on blitzes all the damn time. And Baker, he's going to be the one coming after quarterbacks. He did it in college with cross-dog blitzes, delayed blitzes, coming off the edge, up the middle. I've got tons of videos in this thread from both his days back at Ohio State, but also last year, his rookie season with the Dolphins, getting after quarterbacks and causing chaos in those looks. You look at Jerome Baker's pass rush productivity, just four pressures on 42 pass rush snaps last year, and still he had a PRP of 8.3, which is a much smaller sample size than Van Noy's 276 pass rush snaps or Dante Hightower's 197 pass rush snaps, but still his PRP was higher than both of those players. So I think that he's very well adept at handling this, the speed, the explosion, the quickness off the ball. He can do it all. He's going to be the linchpin of this Dolphins rush scheme. There's more detail in the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Check that out. But as for now, we're going to take our first break and come back on the other side and take your questions on the Twitter mailbag. But first... 
This edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you by Five Star Painting, a neighborly company. Five Star Painting is looking for new owners to join their growing company. Could this be the perfect opportunity for you? Are you driven? Do you have the heartbeat of an entrepreneur? If you're interested in running your own business, text Five Star to 87000 right now to learn more about this opportunity. Choosing to start your business with five-star painting means setting yourself up for success by surrounding yourself with the best in the business and the best at the business. With five-star painting, you'll be your own boss and part of the great Neighborly community of home service brands. Neighborly has empowered more than 3,700 entrepreneurs to achieve their dreams and goals through local business ownership. Nobody knows the home service industry better than Neighborly. Every year, nearly 1 million customers are proudly served by one of Neighborly's 22 award-winning brands, some of which include Mosquito Joe, Molly Maid, Glass Doctor, and Mr. Rooter. I became my own boss and started running my own business two years ago when I took on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and it was the best decision I ever made. If you want to get out from under someone's micromanagement, Get in touch with Five Star. Whether you've been thinking about starting your own business or you already run your own painting company, text Five Star to 87000 to learn more about how a Five Star painting franchise can help you get to where you want to go faster than going at it alone. Again, text F I V E S T A R, that's Five Star, to 87000 to learn more about the neighborly brands that may be available in your area. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Some days I'm more proud of myself than others for the music selection, talking about intense blitz pressure packages from this Dolphins defense. Why wouldn't you go with the Heat Is On by Glenn Frey when you're going to talk about that kind of stuff? But nonetheless, we move on and jump right in to the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond with a question. You get a Twitter shout out here on the show and your question answered on the podcast. And we start here with 28 questions. I'm going to get to as many as I can. And this first one here comes in from constantly refreshing from training camp updates. Noah, change your damn name. At Noah's a dork. He asks, I would ask how is Rosen doing versus your expectations that you had before training camp started, not how we feel about him after his terrible start and pulling himself out of it. Revisit what you want to see out of him and where he's at now. I think basically what I wanted to see was consistent growth, and he's shown us that already, even though that kind of plays against the question you actually asked. But I do think that the... The advancement in processing and also his pocket mobility, which was really on display in that scrimmage, were both very positive signs because you want to look for something a quarterback does that can beat defenses when it comes down to being off script. Sometimes the play call works and it takes any quarterback in the NFL can beat a defense when the play call works. But there's also plenty of times when the play call gets beat by the defense and it's up to the quarterback to make a play like Patrick Mahomes does all the time and many other quarterbacks that are elite in this league. And if Rosen can do that stuff consistently where he can get around a pass rush and reset in a new clean pocket, that's going off script and doing things to beat the defensive play call to overcome your own personnel. And we saw some of that on Saturday. I want to see more of that going forward, especially when the live bullets start in tomorrow's game against the Falcons. Next one here comes from JT Evans at JT underscore Evans 97. 
Way too early predictions, of course, but what positions do you think Miami will address with all their resources next offseason based on what you've seen so far? Quarterbacks number one, I think that Rosen's going to have to play out of his mind for the Dolphins to not go after a quarterback early in the draft, and I'm talking like top five in the draft, whether they get there organically or they have to trade up. And number two would be offensive line. That unit is an absolute disaster right now. Number three, I'd say probably going more after the linebackers, like we talked about in that previous segment, that can find pass rush. Also the safety position, guys that can play deep, but also come down and cover the slot and maybe some cornerback depth as well. So quarterback, O-line, linebackers slash rushers, safeties and corners, I think are the top spots to look at. Next question here from Danny Cianella. He's at DCianella52, and he was the guy that had that great Robert Kraft shirt at Dolphins training camp. What's going on, Danny? Good to talk to you again, buddy. How big of a difference is there between Rosen and Daniel Jones? Wow. <laughs> you guys know how I felt about Daniel Jones. I think Josh Rosen is head and shoulders way, way better than Daniel Jones is, was, or ever will be. So I think a significant gap because I don't think Daniel Jones ever gets beyond like tier four of quarterbacks. I think Rosen stands a chance to maybe, maybe one day get into that second tier where if you put a good team around him, he can get you deep into the playoffs. But I think more than likely he winds up either in tier three or tier four, but still way better than Daniel Jones. Next one here comes in from Aaron Stafford. He's at Staff23 on Twitter. What could we get for Kiko, and do you take whatever a team offers? Yeah, 100%. I don't think you're getting anything for him because, one, he's antiquated in today's NFL, and teams don't want linebackers that don't play in modern-day version of NFL football. And, two, he costs a lot of money, and the Dolphins might just eat the cap space and cut him outright because... I don't think he's one of the top three or four guys on this team. And if he's not going to be one of the top two or three, I wouldn't put him on the team to take snaps over guys like Trey Watson and Terrell Hanks, who might have a future here. When Alonzo, regardless of what happens this season, I'm pretty sure Alonzo's gone next year. So just cut bait now and get a better look at the guys that are probably Alonzo's equal, if not better, and have a better chance of being here long-term in the future. Next question from Clinton Parrott. He's at Clint Parrott on Twitter. Your dream former Dolphins player golf foursome. Well, Ricky Williams is definitely going to be in that bunch, and I'm hoping to ride in the same cart as Ricky because that guy just fascinates me on so many levels. Kenny Stills for sure because he can talk about stuff outside of football, and I just I respect the hell out of Kenny Stills and everything he stands for. And number three's got to be Dan Marino because I want to see Dan shank a shot and lose his mind and break his club because that's always fun to golf with that guy because you're equal parts scared but also laughing because of how terrible he is and how upset he gets over playing a stupid game next question here from fins up at fins up group and the question here is about tomorrow's game against the falcons i'm gonna go ahead and just tell you to hang on on that one because we'll talk about it on tomorrow's podcast next question from nathan rice at nj rice 2004 what is the realistic timeline for flores being a head coach if three years go by and there's no progress going forward, or will the narrative of rebuilding continue onwards till his five-year contract is up? Well, he can't just not have success for every year and expect to maintain his job. I know Stephen Ross doesn't want to change again. He wants Flores to be the guy. Of course, that's an obvious given for every owner that hires a new head coach. But I do think there's going to be more patience with Brian Flores than there was with Adam Gaze, which is kind of Kind of crazy to say because Ross has consistently been patient on coaches that just weren't good enough. I mean, Joe Philbin wasn't good enough, and that's been pretty obvious based upon his post-Dolphins career. We might find out more about Adam Gaze next year and how he's not a hot commodity after the Jets eventually fire him in a year or two. I think that Flores has a long leash, but they're going to have to win some games. If they go 4-12 and back-to-back years, he might be out of a job as well. 
Next question here comes in from Raced, and you gave me exemption from saying your handle because I have no idea how to get it out. Since you saw them live, can you give quick strengths and weaknesses overview of Rosen and Fitz? Yeah, absolutely. Josh Rosen has the most talented arm on this roster by far. He can zip it. He can put velocity and spin on the football. And he is going to challenge some of those tight seams down the field on third and long and take his chances opposed to playing it safe when it comes to those downs. As far as his mental aptitude, I think he has it in there. He just has to get more and more comfortable with this particular scheme. He's not quite there yet. Ryan Fitzpatrick is more so, and that's where Fitzpatrick really excels over Rosen, the mental processing, the anticipation. He's also lighter on his feet, transitions his weight better, and can get in and out of trouble better than Josh Rosen can. I just think that if Rosen puts it all together, his ceiling is not an elite quarterback, but a tier two quarterback like I talked about previously, whereas Ryan Fitzpatrick at best probably is a journeyman type of quarterback as his career has proven to be. Next question here from Life Fighter at Branderson7474. Your Drake comment on the last pod is killing me. How do you know what you can and can't tell us from being at camp? There are just certain things we're not allowed to dispel. And that's kind of one of the things about having sources or having connections is they have to be able to trust you with the stuff that you can't put out in the universe. It's for my knowledge only. And that was told to me several times throughout the course of my trip to Miami. This is for your ears only, and I'm going to respect that. So I just to, you know, I apologize that I mentioned it on the podcast. I probably shouldn't have, but I'm not going to go any more into it than that because it's a matter that I simply just can't discuss. Next question from Sweep the Leg. He's at Rarified Levin on Twitter. Granted, it's early, but how does the offensive line seem to be gelling? What are the serious open battles, and does it look like we'll have enough depth? No, they don't have enough depth. They don't have enough guys to start and make a competent offensive line. They're not quite gelling yet, although the focus of camp has been learning how to communicate and pass off stunts. They worked on it every single day I was there. They're just kind of lacking talent in that unit right now, and that looks like it could be the downfall of a team that also doesn't have a bona fide starting quarterback behind that bad offensive line, and that's just a recipe for disaster. The depth is bad, and the starting group is not good either. One more question here before the break, and it comes in from Tom Geese. He's at T Geese Tom on Twitter. Who is your whoa? Didn't see that coming. Training camp cut. I think it's got to be Kiko Alonso because with that salary and just his position on this roster as one of the veterans, you wouldn't expect him to get cut, but his performance, his lack of health, and the the guys behind him really elevating their game in Trey Watson, Terrell Hanks, and Sam McGuavin, those guys are making him expendable, and I think that nobody would have seen that coming before camp started. Okay, let's take our last break here on this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast for August the 7th here on the Locked On Podcast Network. But first, have you guys drafted your fantasy football teams yet? Before you do so, make sure you check out Fantasy Football by Locked On Dolphins and listen to Vinny Iyer and Locked On Fantasy Football. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. Don't listen to the same stuff as everybody else. Then you wind up with the same team as everybody else. Get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and put you ahead all season long. Locked On Fantasy Football on your favorite podcast provider. Recording this podcast on a Wednesday, check that, on a Tuesday afternoon, as the podcast is for August the 7th, a Wednesday. We've got Hard Knocks coming up tonight, one of the best nights of the year. It really is the indicator that football is back, and of course, it's just compelling television, as you'll find across 
any cable network, especially premium cable like HBO. But with that, let's jump right back into these questions. We got several more. Not going to get to them all today, guys. I'm just going in order. This one from Trent C at uh, T Schrager 24 on Twitter. Do you think there is any potential we make a trade for an offensive lineman or possibly look to see who gets cut to sign a veteran? I don't think they're going to put any resources this year, whether it's draft capital for next season or more money they can roll over into this group right now. They might pick up some guys off waivers, but don't expect them to make a trade unless they fully believe it's in the best interest for next year. Then don't expect any moves to happen. Although if they do think it can help next year, but also happen in the interim this year, then they'll go ahead and do that. Looks like we got another question here about the offensive line, so we'll skip over that one. This one comes in from Mr. Stubborn. He's at Abduarte underscore one. What are the chances that Preston Williams makes the team? Would that mean Miami goes with six receivers? And if they only go with five, who is the sixth man out? If they do go with five, it's going to be like Bryce Butler or Alan Hearns or Isaiah Ford that gets left out. I do think right now the sixth receiver is Isaiah Ford, and I think Preston Williams is very, very safe in that fifth spot. I think the top five guys are very safe right now from one to five with Stills, Wilson, Parker, Grant, and Preston Williams being one of those guys. If they put him on the practice squad, he's going to get snatched up, and that's not a risk I think they're willing to take. If they do go with six, I think it'll be Isaiah Ford as that sixth guy. Next one here from Leighton Stoffer. He's at Stoffer underscore Leighton. And he asks about position groups on Thursday. I'm excited to see. We'll get to that on tomorrow's podcast, Leighton. So just tune in on Thursday's show for the preview. Next question from Ryan Hewitt. He's at Mr. Hewitt 13 on Twitter. Asks, after getting to watch practice live, which unit are you impressed with the most or which player impressed you the most? The unit that I was most impressed by was that defensive line because it's deep and it does exactly what it was designed to do by two-gapping, holding the point of attack, and creating pressure both against the pass and denting the edge and the interior in the run game. Devon Godshaw was great. Christian Wilkins was very good. Vincent Taylor was good. Adolphus Washington, Akeem Spence. These guys were getting after it all week long, and I was very impressed with the interior defensive line. Which player impressed me the most? Xavier Howard, he he looked, he was the one guy out there, and this even goes above Laramie Tunzel, that looked like, okay, that guy's clearly one of the best players in the NFL. He was taking receivers out of plays. He was undercutting passes and picking it off. He's just, he, I can't say enough about Xavier Howard. He's got to be the best cornerback in the league after watching him practice for 10 straight days. Next question here from Arturo Aguiera. He's at Turo23. With what they've shown their whole careers, and I'm talking about skills and attitude, etc., who would you choose, Wilson or Landry? Well, Jarvis Landry has more production, but Albert Wilson, and you talk about the attitude, he's way more humble, and I think that's more important for a receiver that's built like that, a guy that's not going to be a stretch the field and beat you deep, and a, a guy that can win on the outside consistently. Landry thinks that he's that, and he's not, whereas Wilson's content to do the job that he's put here to do, and that is to take carries out of the backfield, to play from the slot, catch screen passes, and make dudes miss after the catch. And he was better than Landry at that last year. So give me Jarvis or give me Albert Wilson over Jarvis Landry, especially when you consider that he makes about half as much on the salary compensation. Next one here comes in from Carlos Jimenez. He's at a Puerto Rican. Do you remember where you were and what you were doing when the Miami miracle happened? Yes, I do. I was in the press box covering that game and I lost my damn mind by saying, Oh my God, he's going to score. Oh my God, he's going to score. Oh my God, he's going to score. And I kind of went a little bit too loud because the rule in the press box is to act like you're watching a game from church. No cussing, no yelling, keep it under wraps. But I mean, come on, what am I going to do? That was the most improbable play in NFL history. The best football moment of my entire life. 
Next one here comes in from Kyle Smith. He's at Kyle Smith 1626. Schematically, how much do you think we'll see in the preseason? Will the offense run any 20 personnel? And that means two backs, no tight ends, and three receivers. I think it's going to be as vanilla as you expect. Probably a lot of 4-3 and 3-4 alignments and a nickel base package with a 4-2 front. I just expect it to be very, very plain on defense and on offense. They're not going to give anything away, especially with a new coaching staff, which kind of remains a mystery for teams that play them early in the season. Next question here from Zach Carey at Zach Attack 3733. Do you like the South Florida heat? Are you looking forward to living there? No, I didn't like it, but it is 105 degrees here today in central Washington. And this also sucks and I can't turn my AC on upstairs. So I'm literally pouring sweat right now as I'm talking to you guys. I don't look forward to that aspect of it, but it was so beautiful at night and in the morning. And of course, in the winter that I do look forward to that and not having any more cold days in my life. Next one here comes in from Austin H. He's at Austin is a Finn. If you could have a 10 minute conversation with Flo, what would be the main topics about or main topics of conversation? I would want to talk to him about his leadership principles and kind of how he had to overcome adversity. I think that stuff is very, very intriguing, more so than the actual X's and O's of football. Although I would want to talk to him about his scheme and how he develops those and how he thinks about certain situations, but mainly about how he became the leader that he is and how he got himself into this position despite having every card stacked against him from a rough, rough upbringing. Okay, let's do one more here. This one comes in from Emmanuel Marassi, and I hope I got that right, at Marassi5009 on Twitter. Who would you rather have at quarterback, Fitzpatrick or Ryan Tannehill? And you definitely hit a chord on that one. If it's 2018 Ryan Tannehill, give me Ryan Fitzpatrick because Tannehill... After the shoulder and the knee and the ankle, he just couldn't do it with his body last year. But if you give me 2016 Tannehill, I think that with as bad as that offensive line is going to be and a play-action run-heavy offense that's going to have 21 and 12 personnel, I think Ryan Tannehill could really manage this offense into about 20 points per game, which I know is not good, but it's going to be better than what I think the Dolphins will get this year with a gunslinger mentality or an unexperienced guy in Josh Rosen. So if it's 2016 Ryan Tannehill, give me that guy. If it's 2018 Ryan Tannehill, give me Fitzpatrick or maybe even Josh Rosen. All right, that's a good spot to end this podcast. Again, we have tomorrow's preview edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast for the week one game against the Atlanta Falcons. We'll talk to Aaron Freeman of Lockdown Falcons for that, and I'll have a preview article up on LockdownDolphins.com. Today, check out the article talking about Jerome Baker and the pressure packages. But that is going to be my time on this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.